Listener Production. Your Morning Agenda with Natasha Belling. Good morning. Thanks for your company. Let's check what's making headlines this Thursday, the 10th of June. Urgent contact tracing is underway in both New South Wales and Queensland after a COVID-positive woman fled Melbourne's lockdown and then drove through the two states. The 44-year-old and her partner fled Victoria on the 1st of June, travelling through a number of New South Wales regional towns, including Forbes, Dubbo and Moree, before testing positive on the Sunshine Coast. Health authorities are hoping to get a clearer picture of the couple's movements today, with a number of exposure sites already listed across New South Wales and Queensland. Epidemiologist Professor Nancy Baxter has told the ABC so far it is a good sign that the woman's partner has not tested positive as well. They've been spending a lot of time in a car, you know, in a closed environment without ventilation, uh, and he hasn't uh, contracted it. So it may be that we're lucky in this case and this woman isn't particularly infective, and so it won't become an issue. Meantime, a Melbourne family has been caught out after fleeing Victoria's lockdown and flying into New Zealand to attend a funeral. The travel bubble between New Zealand and Victoria had been put on hold during the latest outbreak. Authorities say three people drove from Melbourne to Sydney last week and then flew to Auckland. So far, the trio has all tested negative to COVID, but have now been placed in hotel quarantine at their own expense. Here is New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. First point I'd make is to anyone considering uh, breaching uh, the rules that we have in place, uh, you see in this case uh, the family has been picked up and they've been put into a managed isolation facility. So there are consequences. As for fines, um, those decisions do sit elsewhere and I, know I need to leave them to stay there. Meantime, lockdown will finally end at midnight tonight for millions of residents in Melbourne. But some restrictions will remain in place with masks still mandatory while indoors and only up to 10 people allowed at outdoor gatherings. Australian Medical Association Vice President Dr Chris Moy says the city is now in a much better position. Given the current situation with the reduced number of uh, new cases coming out and because of increased knowledge about where the origin of the Delta variant cluster coming, uh, Melbourne is a much better position to be able to ease the restrictions that uh, they've really been unfortunately had to uh, suffer over the next couple of weeks. In other news this Thursday morning, the Prime Minister is off on his first trip overseas today since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, arriving in the UK for the start of the G7 summit tomorrow. Scott Morrison will meet with world leaders before visiting France and Singapore. International affairs expert Keith Souter expects two topics to dominate discussions. We know the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, has talked about um, climate change and also covid so we know at least those two items will be on the agenda. And, of course, also the resumption of uh, global economic output. And history has been made at the State of Origin opener overnight as New South Wales smashed Queensland. We'll have all the details coming up shortly in sport with Brett Thomas. Now let's check what's happening in your state with our reporters on the ground. And we start in South Australia this morning and the state looks set to legalise euthanasia. A bill has passed the state's parliament overnight, 33 votes to 11, after a marathon six-hour debate. It was the state's 17th attempt in 26 years. Our reporter Sean Maynard is in Adelaide and says the bill only needs to clear one final hurdle 
before it can become law. Yeah, that's right, Tash. And that hurdle is the state's upper house, which isn't really much of a hurdle given politicians had already voted overwhelmingly in favour of the bill before sending it back to the lower house last month. This time round, though, it comes with some amendments which should give some peace of mind to those who were hesitant to back the legislation earlier on. One of those would allow private hospitals to exercise what's called a conscientious objection to voluntary euthanasia, referring patients seeking it to other health providers. Now, one of the state's largest private hospitals, Calvary, which is opposed to the practice, welcomed that amendment. Supporters of voluntary assisted dying have long argued people should have the right to choose when to end their own suffering, especially when they've exhausted all their medical options. And now, on the whole, our politicians in SA agree. Assuming this bill does again make it through the upper house, voluntary assisted dying will become legal in South Australia. We're told though it may take between 18 months and two years to roll out the framework and all the necessary safeguards that these laws allow for. And to Victoria now, and despite its fourth COVID lockdown, the state's red-hot property market continues to soar. New figures show homes are flying off the market quicker than ever before because of the growing fear of missing out. A typical property in Victoria is now selling at record speed within 28 days of being advertised. Our reporter James Lake is in Melbourne and says clearance rates are also at almost 100%. Yes, I've never seen the figure this high, Tash. Last weekend's auction clearance rate for Victoria was 97%. We also have to remember that most of those auctions done last weekend were all online because of the lockdown. Homes in some parts of Melbourne are flying off the market even quicker than those 28 days as well. Homes at St Andrews Beach on the Mornington Peninsula are selling in just eight days. And properties in the outer eastern suburbs of Upper Ferntree Gully and Coldstream are changing hands in just 12 days. Now for the latest in business and finance news, we're joined by Peter Switzer this morning from the switzerreport.com.au. Peter, good morning. Australia's trade war with China is set to hot up with Japan supporting the Prime Minister against Beijing's actions. That's right, Tash. Sure, it is a political war, but the battlefield is economic with trade bans on our wine, barley, coal and even our lobsters. And it would get serious if it stopped buying our iron ore. Ahead of the G7 meeting in the UK, the PM and Japan have criticised China for its trade bans, its threat towards Taiwan and new laws that allow the Chinese Coast Guard ships to fire on foreign vessels. And Peter, also this morning, casino business Crown Resorts is in trouble yet again with the head of the Royal Commission into the business suggesting the operation is difficult to change. Yes, Mr Finkelstein, who decides Crown's licence's fate, says that changing a few people at the top may not be enough to transform Crown from being a facilitator of money laundering and other illegal behaviours motivated by profit to a suitable operator of Victoria's sole casino licence. This inquiry could prove troublesome for the company's share price despite two takeover offers on the table. And as we know, Peter, COVID has certainly hurt our student education export business, but not the rankings of our top universities on the world stage. It is good news. Yeah, sure, it's education, but it's also important for our economy and jobs. So news that the world uni rankings have our top four unis in the top 50 list of the world is a plus for future business. ANU is 27th, Melbourne 37th, Sydney 38th, and New South Wales Uni is 43rd. MIT in the US is number one. Peter, thanks so much. Cheers. 
Time for Sport Now with Brett Thomas. And Brett, what a night. And history was certainly unfolding with a sensational performance from New South Wales as they smashed Queensland overnight in the State of Origin opener. Yes, it was. It was uh, shocking, really. We didn't expect that sort of margin. We know that a lot of Queensland stars had some injury clouds over them leading into Game 1. But the performance from New South Wales last night, I don't think it mattered how fit uh, the Maroons were. They were always going to uh, pull off a big win like that when Tom Trebojevic ran in three tries. Brian Toa on debut bagged a double. Latrell Mitchell was phenomenal. In fact, their whole back five just tore the Maroons to shreds last night. 50-6 to six is the biggest winning margin for the Blues in Oregon. In history. Their coach, though, Brad Fittler, has seen this happen before. He's expecting a much tougher challenge in Game 2. The challenge is Suncorp. We haven't won there, so there's a really big goal in front of us. Now, Queensland picking up the pieces this morning. Their coach, Paul Green, says it's too early to say whether he'll make mass changes. They missed 52 tackles last night, 13 errors. It was a night to forget, and he admits a poor start cost them. Got beaten to the punch right early in that game. They really dominated around the ruck area, which defensively, um, we, we couldn't get get any control. Once we felt uncomfortable in that position, we tried to sort of trick our way out, which you you can't do in origin. And Cam Munster has apologised. He's already copped a fine for kicking out at Liam Martin, one of the New South Wales debutants last night. It was such a great game to watch to the AFL now, Brett, and Collingwood is keeping an open mind as it begins the search to find a replacement coach for Nathan Buckley. Yeah, of course, they've still got this board upheaval as well. Mark Corder facing a challenge from Jeff Brown. So whether that will impact uh, their search for a coach, we'll wait and see. They'll appoint uh, a panel with one external member, someone who has uh, experience either winning a premiership or being part of a successful panel in the past. Now, Ross Lyon is definitely a name that will be on their list. And he says he's willing to speak with the club if... It approaches him to replace Nathan Buckley, but he can't say for certain whether he would be actually interested in coaching a third AFL club. It's not a flippant <laughs> response. It needs serious consideration. There's lots of variables, and they are a big, powerful club, but the spotlight is squarely on you. There's nowhere to hide in this town. You need to be eyes wide open and ready and prepared. On Channel 9 there, while the Hawks say they won't be fast-tracking discussions with Alistair Clarkson about his future, Jeff Kennett plans to sit down with Clarko at the end of the season and he is contracted until the end of 2022. Triple M's chief footy reporter Damien Barrett says it could impact Carlton though. Of course they are conducting a review which could decide the future of their coach, David Teague. History tells me 100% that once there are two coaches potentially gettable, two two clubs after a new coach, the competitive tension goes through the roof no matter what each club says publicly. So to answer mm. your question, game on. So watch this space when it comes to more coaching changes happening in the AFL in the weeks to come. So many changes. Big year ahead. Thanks so much, Brett. Thanks, Tash. And Adelaide is now Australia's most livable city. The international list from the Economist Intelligence Unit saw the city of churches come in at number three from 140 cities across the world, judged on things like healthcare, education and infrastructure. Perth was number six on the global chart, Melbourne eighth, and Brisbane in number 10 spot. Sydney dropped to 11th. Whilst it was our neighbours across the ditch who took out the top spot, with Auckland at number one. And that's all you need to know to start your day with your morning agenda in your podcast feed from 6.30am every weekday morning. You can also catch the latest episode in a whole new world of audio by downloading the new Listener app for free. I'm Natasha Belling. Thanks so much for your company. Have a great day and we look forward to seeing you bright and early tomorrow. Listener.